This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew, ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm sick with this, I'm sick with this. Since you watch the fight, without judgment. My own sweet down, didn't teach what I found. I didn't recognize you for this anymore. I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated. Hello, hi, how are ya? Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. So good to have you. Man, this is this is cool. It's a good episode this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I am your host, Shane Told, and this podcast is all about me, a lead singer, talking to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. And yes, we have an amazing front man this week, Mr. Anthony Green. You know him from Circus Survive, you know him from Seosin, you might even know him from his amazing solo stuff, shout out to the new record out now, so good to have him, something we've been trying to do for a couple years now, so it was great that he could take time out of his very busy schedule and speak with me for like an hour, it was just an amazing conversation, we dive into so many things about his early life, about, geez, I, I just don't even want to spoil it. Just sit back, uh, as they say, fasten your seatbelts and get ready for a wild ride. Before we get into that, uh, thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you're subscribed. I hope you've hit the subscribe button, whatever you're listening to on. Just go boop, hit it, so you're in for all the amazing episodes we have, we have, I have, coming up in the next few weeks. And of course, as always, I want to remind you guys, if you want to get in touch, it's super easy. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com with whatever you want. If you have suggestions for the show, for upcoming guests, really anything at all, hit me up, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all of my email. Also, make sure you check us out on social media. I know I say it every week, but you know, this shit's important. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a great Facebook page. Shout out to Neil, Melissa, and Julia for running that for me. They do an amazing job, so go like that page. And if you do like the show, feel free to go on iTunes, write a review, preferably five stars, and tell a friend, tell a loved one. Let's keep this thing spreading. As I record this intro, I am in Germany, in Cologne. I'd say it's beautiful, but it really is just super, super gray and depressing at the moment, which, you know, it happens sometimes here in Europe, but man, Cologne, what a music town. What a place. 
people talk about New York and LA and Chicago and London and Melbourne, Australia as these amazing, amazing music markets, and they are, don't get me wrong, but Cologne is right up there, one of the best music cities, so I'm very happy to be spending a lovely day off here, and if you're in Europe... Come see my band Silverstein play. We are doing a few shows with the Almighty Boy Sets Fire this week, which leads us into a couple festivals. We're doing one in Czech, and we're doing the Vainstream Festival in Germany before we come back to North America, where we are doing eight Warp Tour shows. We are playing Detroit, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Toronto, Buffalo, Scranton, New York, and Boston. So if you're in any of those places, be sure to come out. Come say hi. Feel free to ask me a question about the podcast. I love talking about it, and I love meeting fans of the show on the road. People are always asking me, hey, Shane, when are you going to start doing two episodes a week? One episode a week, it's just not enough. I've listened to all of them, and I want more. Other people are asking me, hey, Shane, how can I help out the show? Well, first of all, two episodes a week is not happening. That would be so much work. One episode a week is enough work as it is. But if you do want more, if you do want bonus episodes, bonus content, question and answer sessions with me, maybe some live chats on Facebook where I'm playing some tunes, maybe you want access to Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, or maybe you want to be a part of a great community with other fans of the show, like-minded individuals, where we have a great group where we talk about everything. Well, look no further than the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. For as little as $6 a month, that gets you in. You get all the stuff I just mentioned. You can also get merchandise shipped to your house every three months. Patches that are very, very cool. And yeah, did I mention bonus episodes? So check it out, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Again, we're talking about $6. We're talking about just one cup of very, very nice coffee. That's very nice coffee, but still only one cup in a whole month. So check it out. It really is what helps me keep the show going, keep the show growing, and helps me keep the lights on as there is costs associated with running this thing. So again, the link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Before we get into it with Anthony, I also want to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, rockabilia.com, the best place to buy band merchandise. I bet they got a boatload of Circus Survive shirts. And the reason I think they have a boatload is because they got a boatload of just about everything. Over half a million items, all unique and all officially licensed from the band. We're talking top quality, no knockoffs, no BS. This is the real deal. Best of all, use promo code PCJabberJaw and save 15% off your entire order today. Rockabilia.com. PC Jabberjaw, and you're in. Check it out. All right, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of my conversation with Anthony Green. What's up, man? Hey, dude. So sorry about uh, missing you. No worries. No worries. Literally like three seconds before you called, my youngest son like grabbed a, like an open can of tomatoes 
and cut his finger. Oh no! And there was just like there was just uh, it's not bad. It's just a tiny oh, little okay. cut. Oh, good. But good. there was it just ensued utter chaos in my house. Like, like I was like, all right, I'm out the door, and then just screaming and yelling and blood. Uh, my wife hates blood, and it's all right. It's all good. It's not blood. It's tomato juice. It's okay. Yeah, it was all mixing <laughs> together. I was like, what's what? I don't oh, know what's God. happening. <laughs> Are you good to do this? Do you need a minute? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, all right. Nice, dude. Well, good to have you, man, on the show. Something we've been talking about for a couple of years. <laughs> I feel like it, like four years ago or something, five years ago, we tried to do it, and then it, it didn't work out, and our timing's just been bad. You know, it's it has been. But you know, it's funny. It, it was two years ago, and I know that because I still had my notes that I wrote up to talk to you, <laughs> and it was right when uh, Pixie Queen was coming out. Nice. Which is funny, yeah. And uh, now you have a new solo record that you just dropped, like, secretly, or, or however you say that, you know? like uh, I feel like it's funny. We, like, can't talk about albums any- anymore without dropping albums, you know? Like, dropping an album is, like, that's just what it is now. When you put an album out, it's like you have to drop it. That's, like, that's it's just... That's just like a term now. It's a thing that we we have all agreed on. We all drop albums. I know. It's just weird. Like, the shelf life for all this stuff is so short, you know? And thank <laughs> God for you being prolific like you are, right? I mean, oh, no. if, can you imagine if you just put out a record and three years later, another record of 10 songs and nothing in between? A lot of, you know, a lot my, of artists do that. I feel like my, my fear with doing stuff like that is that um, the, you know, you don't exercise your creative spirit when you're not writing, yeah. you know, and it's just like, it's just like any muscle. So yeah. if you were to like get really buff and then take three <laughs> years off and then go back to try to get buff again, it would be like starting all over again. So, I've definitely totally. done that where I've taken lots of time off of like p- creative output to just like absorb source material and live my life. And it's always, there's always kind of a hump. To get, to get over, to when get you back, do that. yeah, yeah. There's there's two ways to look at it too, though. I mean, if you sometimes you kind of have to stop and smell the roses and get some other, you know, musical or or life, uh, you know, shit yeah. happening to you to find the inspiration to create. I mean, there's also that part too. But I guess with your yeah. life, you have so much going on. That's maybe not a problem either. See, the thing is, is like I've always, I always, whenever I was taking those long breaks, that was sort of my that was sort of my reasoning behind it or, you know, and I think right. I might have used it as an excuse or a crutch more often <laughs> mm-hmm. than not where it was like, hey, man, I need to do this. And in reality, I was just avoiding my own insecurity about what I was doing. And last time and this was like right around Pixie Queen time when I was like going head for first into just writing no matter when I was like no matter what I was doing if I was working with Circa then I was preparing for what was going to come next when Circa took a break and I started trying to line up all my projects so that I could make them all work in a period of time and I realized that I don't really I can both live my life absorb inspirational input all around me and still work at a steady pace where I feel like I'm in touch in tune, rather, with yeah. what is, like, inspiring me to, me to be creative, you know? And I don't necessarily have to look at it like it's, um, like it's like a well that you go and tap in and then you go back to it. It's like a – it's reliable in that way. It's reliable in the way that it's not always going to be great, you know? But mm-hmm. 
like the people who make the most foul shots are the people who take the most foul shots, you know? <laughs> I like that. That's great. Coming off the NBA championship game, that, that's a, a great little analogy. I really, I really, I use sports metaphors sometimes, but I have no, I have no nothing about sports. <laughs> well, you're right on with that one. I'm a big basketball fan and that makes a lot of sense. The other day I said something to this kid where I was like, oh yeah, she's like the Michael Jordan of being a mom. And the kid looked at me like I was like, he was like, who the fuck is Michael Jordan? Like the shoe guy? <laughs> and oh, I was like, what? The shoe and then guy. I said LeBron, I said LeBron yeah. James and he got it. But. I know. It's happening, man. The shift. <laughs> and even I'm like a believer getting, now. I know. It sucks. We're like, getting old, dude. We're I know. getting old. It's, That's what's happening. It's really is. It really is happening. Um, speaking of getting old, uh, you know, you you're a dad. You're a family man. Kids are running around the house cutting themselves on tomato cans. Uh, it's dude. It's it's really is like I- inspiring to me as a guy that I'm trying to get a solo record together. You know, stuff like that. How do you find the time with with? Is it four kids you have now? And, four, yeah. And all this this time on the road. Like I feel like I'm lucky to catch you at home. Um. I mean, what is that like with your family structure? It must be hard to leave sometimes. Like, I can't even imagine what goes on in your in your head. Yeah, it it's something that um, it's like it's got its it's got its challenges for sure. I mean, people will say that to me a lot. They'll ask me like, "Hey, where do you find the time?" Yeah, but there's so much time, dude. There's so much time. Like, in my my vision of it is that like I. I wish I didn't have to sleep as much as I do. I like, I wish like there's so much time. And you know, when the kids are in bed, I work, you know, and then when I wake up in the morning, I work like I luckily, I I don't need as much sleep. I think as a normal person, I only sleep a few hours a night and then every week or two I'll like crash for an entire day. Um, it's not, I think that my mental, like, chemistry is made very suitable for this you know like i have a compulsion toward the way that creating music and being immersed in music makes me feel and so in my nature of like whether you want to say it's like an addict's nature or Mm -hmm. a compulsive a compulsive person's nature i just i i really get a lot out of my time spent playing music studying music writing lyrics you know, it's not like I'm going, it's not like I'm saving up and I'm trying to do it to, like, I really enjoy doing it. So it's, and it's, it really eases a lot of like the stress and anxiety that I get out right. of either being a dad, either being a dad or just living in this world. So I, I really, it, it's like a, it's like a joy for me. Totally. So it's never, it's never like I, it's never like, a, you know, um, it's never like I'm toiling with any of it. And I think that when you do something that you love like that and you really have that that relationship with what you're doing, yeah. then then it's like the time never becomes an issue. You know, you never have enough. Wow. It's uh, great stuff. I mean, I mean, were you always like that? Like let's go back to the beginnings of your life. I know you've struggled with with depression, uh, addiction throughout your, your, know, your whole life, your adolescence, but what was it like growing up and how did music play this role in your life early on? I mean, okay. So I can remember escaping into albums as like my first memories of being alive. Like I remember putting on my brother's Walkman and listening to 
Pono for Pyros oh or my James Edition <laughs> or like or Metallica. Yeah. Um, and, and living color and Man. like, you know, and, and, and lose getting lost. I would imagine myself playing drums in the band on stage. Like it, it was, <laughs> yeah. and growing up, I was the youngest of four boys who were all born within a couple of years of each other. And then there was a, a decade gap or a little over a decade gap before I was born. And I sort of didn't feel like I belonged to their group. I always felt like the mascot of my brothers. Like okay. I always felt like, like I was running around after them. And, you know, I had a brother that was just loved REM and New <laughs> Order and stuff like that. And I would take little bits of music from them. And I don't know, as long as I can ever remember it, I was obsessed with it. Uh, just hearing the Beatles in my dad's car and never like thinking it was something I would do as a as a living but i definitely went to it as a, for escapism to feel good i put on concerts for my parents lip syncing to like kokomo that <laughs> that, that beach voice oh, i know I, it my, well. dude they all my brothers called me kokomo for like <laughs> i love for it like 20 years like they still will be like yo kokomo and like it's uh <laughs> you know and so, and then I think that like uh, evolution, every kid, a lot of kids grow up in the suburbs, you know, yeah. I was a privileged, very privileged kid, you know, um, I, I sort of got, uh, I got lost into things that would making me feel better about myself. I was a large kid. I, um, my, you know, my mom, God bless her, had this mentality of like, oh, you're sad. Here's a here's some Ilios pizza at ten thirty. Oh, like are you got teased at soccer practice? Like let's eat ice cream and pizza before you go to bed. Uh, and I just I ended up you know uh, like a big kid and getting picked on for that. And I really I didn't like myself. There were there were things going on at home. You know my parents are wonderful people. My dad and I have a, a, a special relationship now because of it. But there was a lot of. There was a lot of physical stuff that went down in my house that really fucked me up as a sensitive kid. Okay. And they were trying their best with what they had. Um, but I think that my my direction was always heading toward ways of dealing with pain. Yeah. And, it, you know, music was such a great way of, of dealing with pain as a kid. And then I found, you know, drinking and I found destruction and I found, um, you know, drugs and it sort of evolved into this thing that for many years I saw, even in the beginning, like when I started playing in punk bands and all that stuff, it was like side by side with just shit that took me away, made me feel better, made me like cope and deal with whatever was going on in my life. And I think that even even after I was in a band and I started making money, um, you know, playing music and I, I started feeling good about that. It was very difficult for me to balance how, uh, I mean, how influential the like drugs and alcohol can be in taking your attention away from the things that are important right. in your life. And it, it like clears a pathway toward pleasure, which is like something that sometimes has to be pain has to be endured. And as a young person, you don't really you're not especially in this culture, you're not really taught that pain is to be endured and to learn from, you know, right, you're sort right. of always you're always being taught how to run away from it. And so yeah. at some point at some point in time, it just overtook everything. And it, it started to overtake everything. It was like a tidal wave that just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, for as long as I can remember, it was something that was a part of my life. And 
I, I, you know, I'm four years off of heroin and alcohol. Congratulations. Good for you. Thanks. But I still feel very much like a new person in the world. Like I'm learning about relationships. I'm learning about coping. I'm learning about communication. And a lot of it feels like stuff I missed out on because I was just so busy running away from pain my whole life. Right. That is interesting about about coping with pain versus uh, taking something to, to ease the pain. You know, and yeah. learning that mechanism. It, it, that really is interesting. It's something I don't think I've heard put quite eloquently like that, but it is true. And you know, that's where music comes up is because when I got clean for the last time, the biggest thing in my life, and this is sad to say because I have these four beautiful children, but I felt this amazing urge like, yeah, to be a father and get my shit together. But I felt like, yo, you have to get your shit together and you got to you got to use this thing that you have like to its full extent you are you're taking it i'm taking for granted the fact that you have this output that can ease your pain and then i started sort of obsessively going toward making music and playing music like twice as hard as i had been you know i feel like now that is like my main coping mechanism with everything it was always there and i was always using it but i didn't see it I, i had so much energy put into finding all these other pathways of dealing with my anxiety and my stress and my fucking self-hatred and all that shit. And once I got clean the last time, I really started using music more as like a drug. And it's in that way, it's become right. like my my spiritual devotion. Incredible. Like, I, think it, I think it's my purpose. Incredible. So going back to when you were a kid, you know, and you're listening to yeah. Beatles records and the Porno for Pyros reference, I haven't thought about. That's a great record, man. That song, Pets. Yeah. What a great. Oh, my God. Man, what a it's riff. so good. And, uh, and you know it's funny because I always hear him singing. He screamed in that first song, like, "I got the devil in me," yeah. and I'm like, "Oh man, I used to sing that all the time. I love it." Yeah, I know. And it's funny because you know I, I I don't know. So many people have emulated your voice, you know, and, and so you know over obviously imitated you and and stuff, which we can get into that. But you have a distinctive voice. I, I don't know if it comes from Perry Farrell as an influence. That's very interesting. But, you know, being a kid and all of a sudden you're you're just singing along to stuff on the radio or whatever, did anybody, like, turn their head and go, damn, Anthony, you, you can you can kind of carry a tune over there? Or was that something that you built up over years of just fucking around, you know, in, in punk bands and whatever? I think that I was pretty annoying to people in my <laughs> life as a young man. Like, I was Kokomo? very loud. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was always yeah, like I was always like I was the class clown. Like I would make my I would I was the first person to be able to like make a goof out of himself for a laugh because it like made me feel like everybody liked me or accepted me. Okay. So I feel like nobody like I could be walking around singing and screaming and nobody would have you know they would have been like that's him just ah, wanting yeah. weird attention. You know, it wasn't until I got older. I started feeling like I gravitated toward these people who were like in local bands and playing music. And I wanted that. I saw that. And I, I thought, saw that kinship and I wanted to be part of it. It wasn't until I started doing that and started like screaming and singing where people would be like, yo, that's really cool. And I, I never, you know, I think everybody sort of intimidate, uh, imitates rather the person that inspired them or people that inspired them. I mean, I don't know if my voice had anything to do with Perry Farrell, but I know that <laughs> people like he and, uh, you know, people like Bjork and, and people who had had unique voices definitely made me feel confident in my weirdness. Right. 
Yeah, I guess you. I guess you must have realized at some point you're different, at least in terms of your range of your voice. You know, being able to yeah. sing much higher than than other bands because they're, you know, I don't want to say that you started, you know, that that trend or whatever you want to call it of just bands singing maybe in some cases higher than they should. Uh, I think that I think it was Claudio, honestly. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Claudio. I or, feel like or I would drive in. The, sure, like. Yeah, you know, there you go too. There. Oh man, you know, you you don't hear like honestly. If you want to think about high voices and range, Barry Manilow started it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, but you you must just is it is it lost on you the fact that that was such a thing that you you kind of created in this scene and do you care about it is it something because i'm sure you're going to downplay when i ask you that question but there's a you know there's an importance like there of something that you've at least popularized i feel that it's mostly a dangerous endeavor to um to over evaluate one's importance and things like that <laughs> sure <laughs> You know, uh, very diplomatic not, answer. I like that. Not as much as a downplay, but like I just don't see it like that. Um, I feel like very much like I was given like the opportunity by people who came before me to feel like credible and to feel validated with what I with my own weirdness, my own. You know, there were people, so many people that came before me doing things where they were fearless about what they about their their eccentricities and i think that if it wasn't for people like that then i would I, I would have been lost right and i really don't see my own relevance as being something that like aligns with what other people see or say and i love i trust me i love being living in this dimension where like every once in a while i can kind of dip into a place where somebody sees that in in me or in my thing but it again, I think it, it like it's fun and it's um, and it's interesting, and I get a little bit of a drunken kick out of it now and then. <laughs> but it's not; it's certainly not real, and I I would feel like it would hurt anything that anybody really likes about the true nature of my creativity if I was to start eating my own shit, so to speak. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I know a lot about you know your career and stuff, and over the years, and and. You know, from my own perspective, it's a little different, you know, obviously um, yeah. <laughs> kind of coming up with you at the same time, but not actually yeah. ever knowing you, which is kind of weird being in the same circles and, you know. Um, didn't you uh, tour with sales? Didn't you do like a big sales tour after I left? Never. No, we did. The never? only thing we ever did was like some festivals uh, with okay. them and like random one-offs. And I know all those guys from running into yeah. them at like festivals and whatever, but I, but I never knew you. Which I, I sort of keep. I sort of keep to myself a little bit yeah. in the social world, um, especially like with the music like stuff. I hate to call it a scene because mm-hmm. I feel like scene is something that happens in a local environment. You know, like I feel like you right. start qualifying what happens on a on a mainstream scale as a scene, and it's just that's all it is. It's just commodifying something, but. I feel like in our in the way that we all the, no, the circles that we all kind of like exist in in a professional and artistic way, it's almost like difficult for me to socialize and maneuver. It, like it, I get anxiety about it, and I like uh, especially for those like those years, you know, where like from two thousand on, when you guys were a band and when we were all starting. Yeah, I really. 
I wasn't like much of a social guy. <laughs> I, I was sort of, you know, I was sort of a, I, the only time you ever really saw me out is if I was like getting weight loaded with people. Right. Well, that's fair. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I just want to talk about the, the Seosin thing that happened in 2000, yeah. in 2003, because it was, yeah. it was pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I remember Silverstein, our first record came out in, you know, May or something of 2003. The first Samson mm-hmm. EP came out around the same time. And I remember being on tour and just everyone talking about this band and everybody listening to this band. And all you had was an EP, but it was yeah. like everywhere you went, all over the country, everyone's talking about this band. And then, boom, you're gone. It was like a, in less than a year. Yeah. You know, from when I heard about, you know, heard about the band until until it that is such a crazy thing to have had happen and for you to be here now with all the success in in Circus Survive, Solo, back in Seosin. When you left Seosin at that moment, I'm sure there's a lot going on in your head, but did you ever think you were going to be a still be here 15 years later as a professional musician? No, I can remember being like at home and playing music with Colin like after I had left and coming to peace with the fact that this was no longer going to be like a thing that I had in my head. Like when I was living in California in Seosan, I started to believe that I would be a professional musician. I'd get, you know, and, and all this stuff. And then after I came home, I decided to kind of follow this intuition I sort of came to peace with the fact that, hey, listen, if this is something I get to do now and then, you know, and I and if I can sit in the hallway and play for my friends, that is something I have to find gratification in. Mm-hmm. I can't look for, I can't look for like a certainty here and I can't look for like, um, you know, I can't look for some kind of validation from this anymore because it's it's over. <laughs> right. I was convinced they were going to be the biggest band in the world and that the luckiest that I was going to be was someday maybe they would like invite me to go play a song from the EP. Like I imagined like, yeah, maybe someday we'll be (laughs) friends again and they'll invite me to go play a song on stage and like it'll be cool and I'll get to play that song again. But was there a regret when you watched them, you know, grow and and like they got a new singer, the the whole thing, you know, with the auditions and they're trying to find, you know, your second coming. And then, you know, Cove comes in the band and he's he's a good singer. He's a very good singer. He's not you. Yeah, Uh, he's great. And and but seeing him there and being like, well, I I can sing like this. I, I can perform maybe better than this. Was it was it weird for you witnessing yes. that go down? Yes, it's very weird. It was an important ego check in my life. It was like um, one of the first great times where I had like a, a real, I had a real like problem where I was like, I really have to put my ego in check and figure out what the fuck I'm doing this for. Because right. if I'm doing this with some kind of recognition or if I'm doing this with some kind of popularity, I'm, I'm most certain I'm going to be um, disappointed forever. And I, I, I had to align what my, my mind and my spirit were together for for finding my purpose and making music and it was really important to go through that it was very painful and extremely confusing yeah and um, I felt like I had no guidance in it but looking back on it now I'm so grateful for that time because what I did have was other people who were really grateful to make music with me and because of that I really I, I started really learning how to to, to like at first process my my emotions with all this stuff, my fears 
through like creative output. Totally. If you do you think if you stuck it out in Seosin with all that hype, you guys would have been you know, again, hate to use the word scene, but the big like the biggest yeah. band in the scene, like another the used taking back Sunday. Do you think you could be at that level or even bigger? I think we would have been happened? like I think we would have been like metallic, like bigger than metallic <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Maybe like Death Clock? Yeah, we would have been like a thing where we would like only play on top of a volcano every five years and it would like <laughs> No, I don't. I so don't like know. The world? Honestly, yeah. it probably would have been the worst thing ever for all of us. I tend to try to look right. at like moments in my past that are, that are you know either difficult or questionable as things that like all were like you know leading us up to where we are now. Sure. So I think about it sometimes. I remember hearing Bo talk about um, in some interview talk about how he thinks the band could have been like as big as Metallica or something if I didn't let leave. So I was kind of just saying that. <laughs> okay. Heard well, I knew it was, talking, I knew honestly, it was tongue in cheek, but I went, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep for years. I had like, I couldn't think about those guys without getting anxious. Yeah. I couldn't, I had nightmares where they were showing up at circus shows and then everybody left and they hate and all this stuff. So having them in my life, Having Bo and Chris and Alex in my life is like such a positive force and making music with them casually like throughout the last couple of years yeah. has been one of the most fulfilling creative experiences I, I've ever had. And I would I would use it as an opportunity to tell people like that are going through differences with other people, whether it's like friendships or whether it's romantic or stuff, something like that, to, that it's worth it to stick it out yeah. and to be positive and loving and because that's the only way that stuff like that ever gets figured out and squashed is that by being open and loving. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast so much is that I get to bring brand new music, great music, right into your ear holes. And today I've got something super new and awesome, a brand new band called Best Case. Super, super new. Hailing from Atlanta, Best Case could best be described as blending emo, pop punk, and alternative with a touch of nostalgia, but of course, I'm gonna let you decide. Here is a clip from their debut single, Heavy Seas. There it is. Great stuff. And check out the very emotional video for the song on YouTube as well. The whole album is out July 12th. Make sure you follow the band on whatever streaming service you use as well because you do not want to miss it. It's produced by Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, Mayday Parade and Cartel. And the band also features drummer Ben Cato, known for his work in his previous band, The Dangerous Summer. We love them around here. So go check out Best Case. It's brand new. You heard it here first. And thank me later. Head over to bestcase.band for links to everything or simply search for Best Case wherever you get your music.
Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Totally. It's incredible that you say that, that you had this for years, you know. Uh, you had these feelings of inf- inferiority and all this, even though Circus Survive, I mean, is a bigger band than Seosin. They, you know, you guys were bigger than them relatively quickly, I think. You um, see, I don't, like, again, like, I don't even see that as a thing where, like, it was, like, I don't even know if that is, like, from my perspective, I just saw these guys making music in harmony with, a new person who I couldn't, and then I felt like I couldn't have done that. You know, like I wasn't able to do that with them. And I felt jealous and insecure about that. It was never a thing where the band was ever any bigger and that ever gave me a good feeling. Cause again, that was like not something that was in my radar. I wasn't trying to be like bigger than anybody. I was never, I wanted to just feel good about what I was doing and I wanted to feel like at peace with that and I couldn't I couldn't be because I left it in such a childish way I left it in such an un um you know there was no closure for anybody and um it was a you know if it was something I could go back and fix I would have communicated I would communicate with I remember it you know I know you've downplayed it a little bit like how leaving the band now however many years ago was like 14 years ago but I remember you kind of making a statement calling them like California douchebags and it was pretty like it seemed very volatile you know dude I was so wasted when I gave that interview okay so this I so what the thing you're talking about this guy from alternative press comes to the studio in Baltimore where we're making like either Drew Turner or On Letting Go or something. Yep. And uh, shout out to Brian McTurner. At, at the time, yeah. <laughs> and at the time, like I was, you know, I had been out of rehab a couple years and I wasn't like, I was trying to not, I, I was, I was trying to not drink, but I was back on like the drink. <laughs> All right. And I was trying to get my, I was just like, I basically told the guy who was doing the interview, like, hey, we're going out to drink now. Don't put it in the interview and don't put anything I say after this point in the interview. And then sort of just told him like how I felt at the time, which was one sided. And like I probably was talking more about myself being a douchebag than them, but using them as like my mirror, you know, so to speak, like projecting. Yeah. But, um he then took everything I said and put it in there because, of course, I mean, was his job at the time. But I felt really sh- stupid about it, and I learned a valuable lesson about talking shit. Yeah, um, I learned a huge valuable lesson. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, obviously, your voice has evolved, and it's funny when you know you go back in the band, uh, you know, back in Taylson again, and you do the record. Yeah, you know, and and in some ways, you don't sound like the same guy on the first EP yeah. how could you you know you're in a yeah. different completely yeah, different place do, do you find that kind of ironic that they were searching so hard to find you when you weren't even you I thought it was you know at the time even now when I look back on it I, I feel like it probably would have been smarter for them if they had just like started over with a new person that did their own thing and they maybe found right. somebody that was like as passionate as me about it and not necessarily as similar to me sounding. Totally. Yeah, because obviously the, the comparison will be there forever. 
uh, with yeah, that, but with I'm, the I'm super, hype you I'm had super glad sure. that I'm glad that they carried on like now because I think that what they gave to the world in my absence was is very valuable. And a lot of those songs, you know, like I'm not alone or, or, or you're not alone or whatever. Like, uh, you know, those songs like spoke to people yeah. and, and I, I'm, you know, I'm grateful to be part of that history. And honestly, being able to go play shows with that band now is such a, is such a victorious feeling in my soul. Being able to con- con- continue to like grow that idea, you know? Yeah. No, I, I feel I, so lucky. I think it's awesome that you're able to do all these different creative outlets and for you as a, like you've explained your personality, you need this. So it's, yeah. it's incredible when, when, you know, with Cove, obviously Cove has been very supportive of you being back in the band and which is cool. Uh, but I know for a long time you didn't play his songs live yeah and now you are was that like a you don't want to step on anybody's toes like no what was the what was the the decision or the, or the feeling there i don't really it's not that i don't like his songs because his songs are great and some of them are incredible i love voices i think voices is the one that is like re- the ones that speaks to me the most but when i'm i'm not like a performer in the sense where like Brandon Urie is a performer and he can get up there and put his heart and soul into like anything. Like it's, oh, yeah, I, yeah. it's very difficult for me to get up there and to, if I was to be trying to sing something that I wasn't feeling or didn't believe, I would just feel, I would get sick. Yeah. You know, it would make totally. me sick. And so for years it was just like, yeah, I don't really feel a connection with these things that I need to feel in order to go up and put myself into it. So I'm going to, um, not going to do that and you know when we were talking about it i think the voices came on like some station that i was listening to and i was like fuck this is so good i was like listening to like coheed radio or or something like that and and that that came on and uh i was like man this would be so fun to sing and i really i do kind of identify with all of the lyrics yeah and i i was singing it for weeks in my head before I even texted Chris from from Seosin was yeah. like yo maybe we practice this and he was like yo that would be great <laughs> and then I, I think I you know I think I mentioned something to Cove about it would bum him out and he said no so was it you must have I mean did you, did you listen to those that album like those albums the Seosin stuff they put out when you weren't in the band because I'd imagine I, I like did, if yeah. it was you listened to them because I, I probably yeah. would, wouldn't have I it probably it's, would, you know Solid Ground is like the best record I feel like it's so it's so underrated from like, I mean, I'm a fan in a different way of yeah. Seosin. And when <laughs> sure. I, and that's my favorite, the last song on that record is like 10 minutes long. It's like the best song they ever did. And I love it so much. Um, there's so much in that record is incredible. I, I think that, you know, when you send a band of creative, you know, uh, uh, expeditionaries like that into a mainstream atmosphere where they're like writing with songwriters and they're having people take the helms that might be steering in different directions. I think it becomes incredibly difficult and volatile with creative members. And I, I think that it affects a lot of bands in a negative way. And I, without, you know, with the risk of like bumming them out or anything like that, as I think that really splintered their relationships with each other, like trying to write in that way with having the labels be involved and, and, um, you know, in, in a, you know, and a positive note is like now, you know, when we get to work together, we've all been through that and they've yeah. been through that. And I think that we really can now go straight for the jugular 
and just write, <laughs> go and write what makes us happy and write, write what makes us want to play. And that's, you know, going to be the best result for anybody. Totally. And, and I feel like there's a lot of differences between Circus Survive and, you know, your relationship within the band and how Seosin operates. I know Seosin's like, Seosin's very like, it seems like a very A-type personality, like very stressful, whereas Circus Survive mm-hmm. is maybe more of a, you guys are more free spirits in the studio. Your guys are like, kind of experimenting a little bit more. I don't know if that's accurate. That's my impression. Um, Do you think that that's kind of related to how Circus Survive has kept such a consistent lineup? I think that, you see, the reason why Circus kept the lineup is because we're like, we were never Circus Survive as like a brand. We're Circus Survive as like a group of brothers, like from the beginning, almost coming out of the Seosin experience feeling yeah. like hey this is this was just felt this felt very professional to me and it you know mostly because i was young and didn't know how to communicate um i didn't like that and i wanted to be in, in a in an environment where i felt like if i got hit by a car and couldn't sing that the band would um rally behind me and do everything they could to value to value my life you know wow. and yeah. um and so Circa was never a thing where it was like, hey, man, we're trying to make Circa. It was like, yo, we're trying to make each other have this place. And in doing that, like we inadvertently sort of created this tiny little community for ourselves where like not only do we have that with each other, but there's like a core fan base that like feel that with us that aren't like linked into like like a like a merch type of like uh, fucking fan club deal. It's like, yo, here's the symbol Here's the message. Here's a bunch of music. It's available for free if you want it. Everything is available for free if you want it. You know, all you have to do is um, all you have to do is sing and dance, and you feel good. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think that's why Circa has the same lineup. If it was, it was never a thing, an intentional thing. You know, unless the intention was to just take care of one another. Totally, totally. Uh, and so, not saying yeah, Seosin was like, you know, has that. But at the beginning, you know, we're young kids. We didn't really know what the fuck we wanted. You know, we didn't know how to yeah. communicate. I didn't know how to communicate. And like, you know, to have that now with them is is way better. I feel like I couldn't have had it when I was 22. No, totally. Um, so one thing you've done a lot of and you've got one coming up, uh, plug in your 10-year tour for your first solo record, Avalon, oh, which yeah. uh, I actually own on vinyl. Uh, but uh, Sick. There you go. Yes. Um, but... Uh, and not, and not not a repress, original pressing. But, uh, <laughs> but you've done a lot of ten year tours. You, you, you've done uh, at least well, at least two that I know of. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Do you enjoy doing this? Because a lot of people shy away from them, and you seem to embrace them. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot. I've heard from things from different sides of like people's opinions about it. To me, like touring and celebrating music is all a part of the same spectrum. Yeah. And like feeling grateful for what I have is like part of my thing that gets me through my life. And so I see every opportunity. I try to see every opportunity that I have to play music and to perform and to grow as just like a gift. So I just see the fact that people want to celebrate something after 10 years as like a hugely positive thing and being able to continue what I love doing. I know that there are other viewpoints of it. I know that there's other perspectives of it. That's the one that I, I feel most connected with, um, you know, to be able to look back as somebody who's a very difficult time keeping commitments and who has a hard time 
um, sticking with stuff in general, like being able to celebrate 10 years of something, especially this thing yeah. that I love more than, more than anything in the world is just nothing but a victory for me. No, and so I, I agree with you completely. You know, I think it's a good way to put it. I, I think, yeah, some people want to, Oh, another 10 year tour. It's just cashing in. But you know, from my own personal experience, when you do a 10 year <laughs> tour and you, and everyone knows what song's coming next, but they're excited about it. They're not. It's yeah. not boring. It's it's the opposite of boring, which is yeah. which is so cool because you don't have that ever with with a, a regular sort of performance. I never saw it growing up. Like I never saw. Like I feel like it's a fairly new thing. Totally. And like it's it's weird to me when somebody's like cashing in. Like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like I own my own small business. There are literally zero opportunities I have to cash in on anything. <laughs> I see one thing coming my way where I'm like, oh wait, here's something that I can do that other people might like and I don't mind doing it and it feels cool to me and then all of a sudden people want to come out of the water and be like, you're cashing in. Like, dude, what do you want from me? You want me to be like destitute and poor forever? Like, I can, <laughs> I can say no to opportunities left and right that don't align with like my my ethos you know sure and i do it all the time but like i don't see how this is a bad thing like like okay i love playing like free i like jamming a lot where i can just play and be lost in a moment and not have necessarily have to play a song you know like i love that i can't do that all the time i could go out there and do like a mars volta thing well they, i mean they they have classically like figured out jams but i would love more than anything to go out and for 45 minutes just jam and make stuff up and have little moments you know for like that one minute of synchronicity all right. the weirdness for the last 10 can 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 go you know can get fucked i love those moments <laughs> sure but i can't go out and do that that's just part of my my so it's like every tour for me is cashing in because i gotta go play songs i can't just go jam and make stuff up and like right to me, that's a compromise. Like I still add little tiny bits of improvisation and, and ma I make stuff up and I go off. But I also see the value in celebrating what people like. People like to hear that song. They like to hear the lyrics they bought on the record, you know. And that doesn't make me feel pigeonholed, you know, as much as it used to. It's like makes me feel like lucky, you know, and I, I celebrate it. So it's like, yeah, yeah. when something comes down my path that I think is like, fucking sweet and it's an opportunity for me to like put enough food on the, like the table for my kids so that I can continue to make music and, and get them a halfway decent like you know life then dude I'm gonna t totally jump for it there you go I was just thinking when you were talking about if in 1996 I could have saw Metallica do Master of Puppets from start to finish holy at shit at 15 right? years old can you like that holy would shit who I would Buy all I would have bought all the tickets for that. I mean, you know. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's, think it's, about think about going to see At the Drive-In play in Casino out from front to back. There you go. Like I would seriously pay eighty dollars for that. <laughs> maybe eighty-five or maybe maybe ninety-five with service charges. Uh, Let's be honest. I would go. probably hit up. I'd probably hit up ninety people to get on the guest list. Absolutely, <laughs> we we both would. We both would. I just I just phoned in phoned phoned a friend to get into the Paramore show next week. I'm very excited about oh, that. I'm really I'm really hoping I can get into one of those shows like while I'm on this tour or where I see them this summer. I'm a huge fan of that band and their new records. So good. Me Fake too. Happy and you know what? I haven't seen Paramore since literally the first album before 
misery business and all that. So I have yeah. I've seen the videos and bought all the records and listened to it, but I've never seen them perform. So I'm I'm excited, which is good a good way yeah. to be when you're a 37 year old man still excited about music, I guess. Yes, and, uh, I love that. Here we are together. Let me ask you a question. Boat. So ask me a question. You, how do you you do this all the time? I was listening to a couple of the ones that you did previously um, while I was in Australia recently, and oh, cool. I, I think it's like. I, I mean, how do you how do you get into doing podcasts? I know you have, you do you have a fam- you have a family too, right? No, I, I'm actually no, I'm single. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. Um, All right, there you go. So, you just literally answered my question. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but but you know, it, it, this this show started just from from a funny name. Uh, somebody was talking about lead singer syndrome and like yeah. making a joke about me having it. And you know, so it was a term we toss around. You know, whenever I do something kind of diva ish. And yeah. uh, and then I don't know. I just thought it was a, a would be a pretty cool idea to have a lead singer interview another lead singer and talk about that stuff. And I thought the name was hilarious. And I was like, I have to do this. So do you, here I am, when like you go, 130 episodes later. That's insane to me. Yeah. Do you yeah. when you when you go do you, like when you pick the people that you interview? How do you pick them? Well, I, I don't just go for a big name like. Like it's nice to have somebody that's gonna bring you know oh push us on social media and then a bunch of people listen yeah. to it. But if anybody has a unique story, that's that's great. Like I don't care how popular the band is if it's a if it's a unique story. But I'll even push shit. Like there's this band you probably haven't heard of them. They're called Darko. They're a punk, okay. They're a punk band from the UK. They put out probably my mm-hmm. favorite record of 2017. They've never even been to America. They've never toured overseas. Yeah. In America, and I was like, I want to talk to this fucking guy. I want to know about him. Nobody's, I can't yeah. read any interviews about him, so I'm putting him on the show. And honestly, one of one of my most listened to episodes was that guy. Nobody even That's knew about. That's awesome. So it's it's really cool. Like I, I just I, I get you know I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing this too. So. Do you find that like talking to creative people? And I grant, I, 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 I'm sure that not everybody's the same. But do you talk to? Do you find that it like inspires you to be talking to people who are creatively active like that? To- it totally does. It, it, it's but what it what it more reinforces is how we're all kind of the same. Like yeah. we all kind of came up like feeling a little lost, and then we had this guitar, and we we all like none, <laughs> first of all, no singers yeah. ever started as singers. They all started like yeah. they got a guitar or like something you know else, and then they yep. were the only ones in their friends of their friends that could kind of carry a tune, and then here they are like you know however many years later doing this, and so many people say I don't even feel like I'm a lead singer, you know, and, and all these 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 kind of things happen, and and that's my favorite just to reinforce my own yeah. life and my own path, and be, and I don't feel I don't feel alone, you know, I feel like I'm I'm yeah a kinship. With with all these people, and I've made so many friends through this thing too. It's unbelievable, you know. It's really cool. So, thank I, you, man. I, I can't I can't even tell you how many people in the last few years have been like, "Dude, you ought to do this podcast." Yeah. And I, I generally try not to do too much stuff like that. And I I remember hearing the name of it and being like, "Oh my god, I don't want to do that." Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm like so I'm so afraid <laughs> of people thinking like you know I, I definitely have like a fear about like being the lead singer dude who like is like making it hard for people or like you know that dick bag walking around with a bottle of Jack Daniels like right. screaming shit at people being a fucking dick you know like I get worried about that totally and we and we make fun of those people on the show all the time yeah. you know uh, that's part of it is that it's tongue in cheek but I'm li- sure some- I think listening to it listening to your show after I was like oh man 
this will be this will be cool. <laughs> Good. Well, thanks for being here, man. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but a couple more things. I want to talk about your new solo record. Would you still yeah. be in love? Uh, quite a departure uh, from Pixie Queen. I mean, you're talking about way more stripped down, um, you know, guitar and vocals. What was the decision there to, to go that route, um, you know, rather than the full instrumentation like you've done in the past? I think it was like coming off the heels of writing and recording uh, the amulet where there was just right. so much. And I have been writing songs since Pixie Queen that um, were just, you know, I was sitting there writing them and workshopping them at the open mic night in my town. And like cool. seeing how they played live, and I, I I got the songs to a point where like I had miracles. Like there's a song on my first solo record called Miracle Sun, and when I wrote that song, I wrote it in its entirety, and then I played it so many times for people, you know, after shows or you know, uh, like on the like traveling around, almost busking, just like playing. I'd go out and play some acoustic songs and. Um, it evolved in a way where I could play it from front to back. It wasn't like a studio recording type of thing. And I started feeling like with the amulet, my voice just over all of the drums and all of the loud guitars felt like it was just like – it felt like it didn't have the geography that I wanted it to. Okay. And I think that when you strip back things, it gives you like – this ability to be able to sing really soft and delicate, but still be heard. And yeah. then when you go high or you go loud or harder, then it really, you really feel it differently. And I, I listened to um, the Feist album, Pleasures, yeah. a bunch. And there's like songs on that album where you can hear her feet tapping up against the ground or her chair creak as she moves in it while she's playing guitar. And I really wanted to have a record where it felt like you felt if you were sitting with me listening to me play. And it was like very conscious between me and Will to try to do right. that and to make sure the guitar takes and the, the vocal takes were live. And then as we were doing it, I would be like, oh, let's put a glockenspiel here. Or like, let's bring in Keith and right. he'll play drums. He'll play. And it was so hard not to fill it up with massive amounts of shit. And uh, yeah. just because of how we are with people, so I mean, that's, uh, that's how we a, are with, with. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. How we are? I with. think that I think it was an. Ex, I think it was like it was like an experiment in, um, like simplicity. Right. And and right. Uh, we a lot of the songs we filled up with other stuff and then we drew it all back. Yeah. No, I mean it would be interesting to to do a remix or reimagined record and and put in all that shit. You know, yeah. like down the road as a as a kind of reissue. That would be an interesting idea. But I'm sure by the time think, you get to that I point, think it would be you're cool going to be moving tour. on. A tour, it would yeah. Be cool to do a, like a tour where you we play like we have the live band playing a lot of the stuff. Absolutely. Um, I had this question that I that I wrote when we were going to talk two years ago, and I still have it mm -hmm. here in my notes. And I wanted to ask you. Um, I, I, I found this with Pixie Queen, which was a record I really enjoyed. Um, I found there was an interesting juxtaposition because the record is very major, major key, and sometimes yeah. very upbeat, but the <laughs> lyrics are absolutely crushing on that. Yeah. And it's like equal parts sadness and almost apologetic, and the songs are so good. And um, I want to ask you how you've, if, if, if you're still in the same space when you write your solo lyrics as you were then, or if it's shifted in the last two years. 
Um, I don't know. I don't ever really know what space I'm in when I'm writing something until like I'm farther away from it. And then I can look back yeah. and say it, you know, it's yeah. like so, it's so close to me now still. I know that when I was reading Pixie Queen, I was very much trying to communicate with my wife through a lot of those songs. And I think that with Would You Still Be In Love was still the same way. Yeah. Uh, but I was just saying much different things. Like Pixie Queen was almost like a, like a please believe me type of thing. And maybe, um, maybe would you still be in love is more like a, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Uh, well, dude, uh, thank you. I got a couple more fan questions if you don't mind before I let you go. Dude, I don't cool. mind at all. You're, you're not, uh, you're not in any, I've like a spaced out a bunch of time for this. So you don't, you're not in any rush. Nice dude. Um, okay. I got the first question is from, uh, Brendan Potter, who's a big fan of the show and a big fan of you. Uh, he asks if you were supposed to do a project with Max Bemis of Say Anything, and also there's a rumor that there was an extra song called the Hangover song, or sorry, uh, the Party song, which was a, I guess a kin song to the Hangover song. Is that true? That's his question. Um, I don't remember even tracking the vocals to that <laughs> Say Anything song. All right, because we were in the we were in his tour. I think we were in his tour bus on a night of Warp tour. And I was just drunk that whole summer and don't really remember it. But I do remember being like, holy shit, when it came out and being like, holy shit, I don't remember this at all. Like I could have been a thousand pounds of Xanax and drunk when I did that. Wow. So uh, I have a hard time with a lot of those years. But I do remember uh, – I do remember somebody else asking me if I was going to be in a project with Max, and I don't know if we ever talked about it or not. I do have the tendency of like finding people that I enjoy their company and then just starting bands with them because that's just like what I do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Max and I had talked about doing something, you know. Um, but I would love to work with that guy. He's um, yeah, he's incredibly he's incredibly talented. He is incredible. And uh, and a question here. I don't know who wrote this. It's it's written pretty kind of funny so I'm gonna just read it out is okay drugs fucking heroin man <laughs> right now it's a total <laughs> epidemic in America do you ever worry about what you say about it could glorify it in some way because people put you on a pedestal man like my best friend thinks you are the greatest singer of all time that's in caps so the greatest singer of all time was a heroin addict for years and still managed to make all this amazing music and still raise a beautiful family it's scary a little bit that some aspiring musician could think he needs it and where do you think you would be if you never touched the stuff oh my god there's like a hundred questions in that one yeah question. but I, I couldn't Shit. dumb that down yeah. I, I couldn't summarize that I had to give you the full unabridged version yeah. you know tell you what first time I ever started thinking about if I ever glorified heroin and I don't think I did <laughs> I don't think I do I'm not sure if I ever have ever spoken about it without it immediately following how much of destruction sure. it has posed in my life. I think the only time I ever even find only the only instances of when I ever even find time to talk about it is when I'm trying to be precautionary. Um, that being said, I remember almost in my head deciding that I wanted to try it when I was like 12 or 13, worshiping Kurt Cobain. God, I've heard that on the show before. Word, 
I've heard that before. Yeah. Like, I remember being a kid and thinking, like, I would do that because he did that. And so I think that the question more or less is that how do we how do we value our our idols or our our contemporaries or our, our our peers how do we put people on a pedestal why do we do that and and what about it innately serves us and a purpose for us and i think that we end up looking at people like that, whether it's an athlete or a musician, and putting them up on this thing because it defl- it helps takes the responsibility of us to do what we're meant to do as as human beings, as great individuals who have possess the power to do anything. And I think that you know, as a young person looking up to people, you, you want to feel like they're a superhero. You want to feel like they're something greater than you it's it's like impossible to fathom that you have that power to do that whether it's fucking you know to be like michael jordan or fucking be like her cobain or whatever and there there's like a disconnect there that helps create this idea that people are these role models i am not fucking role model i can't take responsibility for people looking up to me or misinterpreting what I do or what I say, I would lose my shit and I would never make music again if that was the case. Um, You know, I see artists go around nowadays glorifying sex and violence and, and especially materialism, just insanely gross materialism. Look at all my shit. Look at all the shit I have. I'm better than everybody. I got all this shit. I'm the best like that. That to me is so toxic and (laughs) it's so poisoning. It's so poisoning with greed and with things and with, with money and with possessions. And that's what people, that's what your end game is in life is to have the most shit, the most stuff. And you know, there's also a thing where people are killing themselves now more than ever. And I think that those two things are very much aligned. Now, any damage I've done to my fans by, doing heroin or talking about doing heroin, you know, I couldn't be, fuck, I couldn't be more bummed out about it. Like, right. I know that it's happened. I know there's things I've said that have been misinterpreted and misconstrued. And I know that there are people that probably saw me smoking and decided to smoke or do whatever. Um, I really have to just let those things go and try to carry my message forth in that way and carry it in a non-judgmental way and in a non like a self-inflating way you know yeah somebody comes up to me how you're a high you're a fucking piece of shit you're a high horse whatever i don't i can't i can't i can't can't solve their problem for them i'm not going to be what they want me to be i'm not going to get angry at it it doesn't serve me any purpose in getting angry at it you know um i just i would love for somebody who is having a problem with heroin or with drugs um, to be able to learn that it is possible to have a completely different life than the, the life that they're living, like addicted to that drug. It is actually the worst thing that like you could ever imagine. And yeah. if there's like one or if there's a hundred people that misconstrue what I'm saying as something that is like trying to be harmful or glorifying it, I feel like there might be one person who feels less alone and maybe a little bit more create courageous to go into that place where they have to face their fear and discomfort in order to get free from that dream. So well, I, the take, fact it, that I you, take the pros with the cons. I mean, the fact that you've got out of it is hopefully, you know, inspiring to those people too, you know, um, and congratulations on your sobriety. Thanks. I mean, it's something you never, are, you never are fully out of, you know, right, like right. I have 
obsessive thoughts about using all the time. You know, I, I, there are days where it's way, I don't think about it at all. And there are days where like, I, I'm almost convinced that it's something that I really like, I, I'm going to do, <laughs> you know, being bipolar is something that has been challenging with that because I, my mood will shift in a rapid way, you know, and I'll be down and I'll be very vulnerable in that situation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult to remain like diligent with the tools you have at your disposal to, to combat those urges when they come up in your mind and things are so intense. Absolutely. Well, damn dude. Well, that's, thanks for the, thanks for the fan question response. <laughs> uh, yeah, no problem. dude. <laughs> well, uh, dude, thank you very much. Anything else you want to add or talk about or plug? I mean, I know you got that tour coming up that starts pretty soon, right? Uh, yes, the tour starts, I think, June 28th or 29th in D.C., and the album is out. And, man, I'm just so grateful that in a time where, like, guitar music and, you know, is not the most popular thing ever, and I've, you know, having been around on the shelf now for over 10 years, I'm not, like, the freshest tomato out there. <laughs> it makes me super happy to talk to somebody who cares enough about music to see through all that and uh, like can appreciate it with me. So, yeah, oh, that's yeah, my man. only thing I'd, I'd like to add is thanks for paying attention to my music and to my shit. There you go. Well, Anthony, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the call and uh, all the best out there, man. Awesome, Shane. I look forward to it. Yeah, take care, man. See you, buddy. See you. So there it is with Anthony. I absolutely loved Speaking with him, thank you, Anthony, for taking the time. Shout out to his manager, Biggie, one of the best in the business as well. And it was so incredible how honest and forthcoming Anthony was with his answers and and talking about his insecurities that he has and really, really was an awesome listen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, again, go on iTunes, write a review, check out the All Access Club, do whatever you can to help the show, tell a friend, tell a loved one, hit the subscribe button. It all goes a long way, and thank you so much for being here. Next week, we will be back with an all-new episode once again, just like every week. And I'm not sure who it is yet. I got a few in the can, but they're all super good, so come back on Tuesday. I always play music at the end of the podcast, and this is particularly difficult due to how prolific Anthony Green is. But I'm going to go with a hit, I'm going to go with a classic, and I'm going to go with the song I never get tired of hearing so i hope you enjoy it here is circus survive with get out i'm gonna get out peace and love see you next week i can't get started from the part where i left off yesterday should have spent my time a little wiser
I want to give a huge thanks and shout out to the following members of the All Access Club. What's up, my centers? Shout out to Julie Papalka, Nathan Riley, Brendan Potter, Josh Lowe, Rainer Ho, Nicholas Schultz. Nice to have you, Nick. Alyssa Lowe, Nicholas Loveland, Robert Scott Lewis, Rahel Schweiler. Sorry if I got that wrong. Seth Powers, Feek, my man from Singapore, Evan Van Howe, Melissa Gilroy, Rebecca Ferrero, Brandon Dave, Mary Beth Bedler, Lisa Buckland, Brennan Drescher, Ford Wesson, Kyle Craig, Tom Mancini, Victoria Var, Anton Apelros, Philip Fradkin, Travis Reed, Mo Horta, my girl, Caitlin Stevens, my other girl, Cameron Lopez, Christina Springer, Sarah Pauls, Derek James, Tyler Burnworth, straight out of Vegas, Megan Marr, Austin Amos, Connor Lynch, Jesse Basso, Drew McDonald, Ian Scott. If your name was Scott Ian, that would be much cooler, dude. Just saying. Kyle Simpkins, Jeffrey Adams, Jordan Crink, Alina England, Eric Layton, Connor Larson, Brandon Ray. Great haircut in that photo, man. Trent McDougal, Josh Vandruff, Aiden McLaughlin, Cole Fenn, Johnny Caro, you sly dog, Andre from Cairns, Australia, Will Southard, Markham King. Dude, thanks for sending me that Nintendo. Very, very cool of you. Christian Harris, Roy Stino, Roland Kabate, Gabby Marshall, and Toronto's finest, Rigel St. Pierre. Love you all. Thanks for the support. Thanks for the love. And talk to you all soon on Facebook.